what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We're in Summerside PEI, in a room with about 15 people, in a building next to Three Oaks Senior High School. This recording was made by a mother of one of the kids at the school. She didn't tell anyone she was making it, but she wanted a record of what was happening. I still haven't seen any evidence that was a real game. On one side, government officials who want the people in this meeting to know students were never in harm's way. It's their job to keep kids safe, and that's what they did. On the other, parents who have a nagging doubt their kids may be in danger, that something went wrong. We've got a number of sick kids in that school, and some of them we do not know why. And that is why we are gathered around this table. We are trying to find out why. I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. Some stories, they're like dominoes. You push one piece and the rest follow. But this one, it's like a maze. The path keeps turning and stopping. And even when you get to the middle, it's not clear how to get back out. This meeting... This is the sound of people trying to get back out. Doc Project's producer, Julia Poggle, is going to take it from here. Let's start by winding back, because that meeting may never have happened if it wasn't for one person. My name is Toby McDonald. Toby and her husband, Reg, live in the outskirts of Summerside PEI. We are islanders through and through, thick of the heart. Toby's in her late 40s, and we've settled into her couch in her living room. Her dark brown hair is neatly blow-dried, and her face is full of soft smiles, but gets dead serious in an instant. I can't stress it enough. Family absolutely means everything. Her husband, her son, and daughter Lydia. Uh, So my name is Lydia McDonald, and I went to Tosh from 2014 to 2017. Tosh stands for Three Oaks Senior High School. Lydia's come home for the weekend. She graduated high school two years ago and is going to university in Halifax. And Toby is my mom, and I'm very proud of her for starting this. Starting this. It all began when Lydia started to feel sick, about two and a half years ago. It was probably about like halfway through my 12th grade year, kind of starting to feel a little bit fatigued or like nauseous just at school throughout the day, which like wasn't normal for me at all. This is a child that's always active. She wants to go to friend's house. She wants to get her homework done. And she was just starting to drag her heels. She was... I would literally just be in so much pain that I couldn't breathe. And I would literally just drop to my knees on the floor in pain. I was getting crazy headaches. That was a really big symptom for me. I had to go see my doctor for it. Um, She had to actually give me injections 
for nerve blockers in my head. They were that bad. And I just, you know, you just feel trapped because like, what are you supposed to do whenever you can't fix the problem? I thought there was just something wrong with me. You know, I thought I was alone. But she wasn't. So um, at school, I'd been feeling kind of um, really fatigued and nauseous, and I had headaches um, most of the time. And it was, these symptoms were worse while I was at school. The day after I sit down with Lydia and Toby, Toby invites me to a small community center a few minutes down the road from her house. Fourteen kids and parents sit around a table. My name is Alexandra, and I'm 18 years old. I'm graduating this year. I was getting breathing pains. Like, I would get sharp, stabbing pains in my mid-back. That's when I started realizing I was more tired than normal. I was always exhausted, no matter how much I slept the night before. I always felt tired. I went to bed tired, woke up tired. I'm Nicole. I was up late one night, and I just stopped breathing normally. And then I went upstairs to my parents, and I was like, guys, I'm not breathing. Like, do we have inhalers or anything? But when it didn't go away, it was like, it was, it was kind of just like, whoa, what's going on here? Nicole's mom put a post on Facebook asking if other kids were feeling sick. This was in April of 2018. Toby saw the post and that other kids were sick and that it was worse at school. And Toby realized, could it be the renovations? There had been renovations at the school, going on in Doris since late February 2017. A $23 million upgrade to the school, which opened over four decades ago. The 700 students were on site during the reno, but the school said the areas that were under construction would be taped off and dust would be kept to a minimum. The school knew some students said they were having health issues since the renovation started, though it's not clear what they thought was going on. I've reached out to the school, but they've not returned my calls or emails. And when I visited, I was told Principal Jeff Klo didn't have time to see me. There are about 60 people in Toby's Facebook group for concerned parents and students of Three Oaks, but there are 700 kids at the school. Most of them were fine. Even so, the school said if the kids were feeling sick when they were around the reno, they would help them move their classes or help make arrangements to get them to another school. So when did it get to the point that you knew you needed to change schools? I think it was right around the time when I started failing my classes. That was when I was like, I'm, I just need to go. Some of the students' doctors have said their symptoms were linked to environmental concerns. They were prescribed inhalers to help them breathe. I've asked experts about this, and they say the symptoms the children were having are in line with dust exposure. And according to some students and teachers, there was a lot of dust. You know, we had kids come to us and tell us that they, you know, some days would have to walk around with their T-shirts over their nose and mouth because the dust was so cloudy. But the school denies it was as large a problem as the students make it out to be. In notes found in Freedom of Information requests, a parent sent Principal Klo a video of a very dusty cafeteria table. But Principal Klo advised this parent, there's no way there was that much dust on the cafeteria table because the area is monitored regularly. 
In other notes, it said Principal Klo investigated five other complaints, four of which he said were false. It's not clear how the principal conducted his investigation. But from what Toby has learned from her daughter and other students, at times during the renovation... The school is clouded with dust. So what was in that dust? A year after Lydia started to feel sick, in March of 2018, Toby was sitting on her couch watching the evening CBC News. I was sitting right there where my cat's sitting. And her concerns about her daughter's illness took a new turn. The CBC News was reporting on health concerns at Three Oaks, breaches in health protocol during the reno. This information had actually come out about 10 months before, but this was the first time Toby was hearing about it. Through freedom of information requests filed by the provincial conservatives, the official opposition at the time, it was found out that some information about the reno wasn't being shared with parents. In March of 2017, Parker Grimmer, the director of the public schools branch, sent an email which said there had been several breaches in protocol with removing lead paint and asbestos ceiling tiles at Tosh. Shock, dismay, horrified. And then it was almost like the puzzle pieces started to come together for me. There was a reason to start to ask questions. Grimmer continued in the email, the exposure in the cases are low and hopefully the risk to students and staff is also low. Risk is hopefully low. That didn't exactly calm Toby's growing fears. The trust. It's, it's the mistrust. Anytime they tell you something, you question everything they say. The fact that things went wrong and she wasn't told made her wonder. What else didn't she know? So what do you do whenever there is no knowledge? Your mind goes to the darkest place. Your mind goes to the what ifs. Toby's trying to get some answers to those what ifs. Is there a chance there was asbestos in the dust that was in the school? Because that has big implications for her daughter's health. What's making Lydia sick now most likely isn't asbestos, because if she was exposed, it wouldn't work that fast. And here's where our story shifts direction. This isn't going to be a story about what's making Lydia sick now. It's a story about what might make her sick later. Toby and Lydia won't know for decades for sure if she breathed in asbestos fibers. It can take 20 to 40 years before asbestos fibers lodged in lungs result in a cancer called mesothelioma. And that cancer is fast-acting and deadly. After diagnosis, most people die within 12 to 15 months. A lot of asbestos safety advocates say no level of asbestos is safe and that you can get cancer from a one-time exposure. But, according to an expert I spoke with, who you'll meet later, it takes a lot to get fibers into a person's lungs with a one-time exposure. It's a whole other story if we were talking about a person who worked in a factory that manufactured asbestos their whole life. But still, even with a short window of exposure, the chance is there. And that's all you need to spark fear in a parent. 
Toby doesn't want to wait for 20 years and be surprised. She needs to know now if there's any chance Lydia has been exposed so they all can be prepared. So Toby's on a mission. She wants to know more about what was in that dust and if that mishandling of asbestos might be more serious than she's being told. The words risk is hopefully low keep playing over in her head. My gut's telling me that something's wrong. And I'm responsible for my daughter. Casey here. Coming up, Toby starts looking for answers. And what she finds raises more questions. Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. Toby and her new friend Samantha, the one whose daughter Nicole couldn't breathe in the night, started filing freedom of information requests of their own and getting organized. This is called the war room, so I'll put out on, on, our, on our group page. Inside Toby's home, her kitchen table is turned into what she calls the war room. Above the table is a sign her husband Reg made for her. It has the words family and love spelled out. Yeah, he's wondering when we're going to get our dining room back. And I was like, oh, there's no guarantees. And I got one, two, three, four. The table is covered with papers and binders. binders. Binders filled with documents she's gotten through Freedom of Information about the renovation. This is where I am. I didn't know where I was going to start Mm -hmm. from those first Facebook messages to where I am now. Like, I mean, we had no idea what we were going to unravel. The Department of Transportation and Infrastructure said there was never anything to worry about. When they noticed the asbestos had been mishandled, they closed off the area, they tested the air, and those tests came back clean. But when Toby learned more details, it didn't seem that simple. In June of 2018, after pushing from Toby and the Conservative opposition, the government posted the all-tech air test reports online. And what Toby learned didn't make her feel better. Now, there are a lot of details here, so lean in. I'm about to tell you how this breach in protocol happened. During one of the early days of the renovation, in late February 2017, a contractor hired by the government began to remove ceiling tiles in one area of the first floor of the school. Some 5,000 square feet of ceiling tiles were removed and walked down the hall to a loading dock. They didn't know at the time that some of those tiles had asbestos in them. It was a Tuesday, and the kids were in class. Around the corner from this area was the school kitchen. The band room was next door, and the theater was just down the hall. This was in a construction zone which meant it was supposed to be taped off from the regular flow of student traffic. 
but it was not an abatement zone, meaning it was not set up to keep hazardous materials from getting out. Of course, none of this was set up with good reason, because no one knew these tiles had asbestos in them. Why? Well, the Hazardous Materials Report, according to the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure, was partially wrong and partially not followed correctly. The map which everyone was following didn't have the hatching which indicated there were asbestos ceiling tiles in the area. But inside the report, it did have the information that these ceiling tiles had asbestos in them. Now, what really made Toby nervous was this mishandling of asbestos. The whole thing was discovered by accident. An environmental consultant from Alltech was brought in to look at a different issue with the renovation. While he was there, he happened to see ceiling tiles and recognized them as the type that have asbestos. He sent the tiles to be tested, and he was right. A stop work order was enacted, and the construction site was shut down while they figured out the extent of the breach and started cleaning up. Workers' compensation was alerted, and they came in to do a report. So with the site shut down, the school went into damage control. Which brings us to the air tests. This is one of the things that has really made Toby's head spin. She has always been assured by the school and the government that there was nothing to worry about because the air had been tested and it was clean. But the facts don't lead Toby to make that same conclusion. The air was clear on the days the tests were taken, but... How long did you wait to do your air test? Eight days. According to the report from workers' compensation, eight days passed before the tiles were noticed and the area was cordoned off from February 28th to March 8th. The Department of Infrastructure gave me a different timeline from when the work was done to when it was caught, March 6th to March 8th. I asked about this discrepancy multiple times, but they never responded to that question. But for either timeline, no air tests were done while the tiles were being removed. Only after What also makes Toby nervous that there might be asbestos in the air are the floor samples. Three of five floor samples taken in the days after the breach came up with asbestos readings. At one of the locations, it was shown that the asbestos was 50 times over what is acceptable. That was on the floor right outside the office where the tiles were being removed. I don't understand how, on one hand, you can have dust levels that high because at one point... That dust must have been airborne. But we will never know, because, again, there are no air tests for the days the tiles were being removed. It just didn't make sense to Toby. Why wasn't this period where there's a lack of data a concern? Your own test results showed asbestos contamination levels more than 50 times above acceptable levels. It's June of 2018 a year and a few months since the ceiling tiles were improperly removed, and Three Oaks is brought up in the PEI legislature. The Liberals have just posted the all-tech reports online, and the Conservatives are hammering them for those high asbestos readings on the floor of the school. two months of questions from our PC caucus and a freedom of information request from parents to pry these test results. 
Minister, didn't students, staff and parents deserve to know what they were being exposed to for the last two years at Three Oaks? And that's another thing that Toby can't let go of. Why was a letter never sent out to students and families about the breaches in protocol? I go back to March 2017 when that was identified that uh, it, it was an area that did not show up in the original drawings. Work was stopped. When it was noticed the asbestos was handled improperly, the janitors and teachers were told that's part of workplace health and safety regulation. But parents and students weren't. In Freedom of Information documents, we learned that there were three workers' compensation claims filed by teachers. We were not able to confirm the outcome of these claims. But the thing that really stands out to Toby is students couldn't make claims like that. They have nothing. They, they have nothing to protect them. And Toby wants to change that. So now she's looking to the future. Since the cancer linked to asbestos takes decades to emerge, she wants a registry. She dreams it would act as a type of insurance. That if students develop symptoms related to asbestos exposure, they would have a record of where that exposure happened. And they would get support and compensation. I wasn't granted an interview with anyone in charge of the reno, so I'm not sure how they really feel about some of the issues I've uncovered. I go back to the Freedom of Information requests to try and piece together the other side of the story. There's this one detail that I keep rereading. It's in one of the Freedom of Information documents, in handwritten minutes from a meeting. It doesn't say which one. The note says, discussed use of masks but would create visual that there is really a problem. In the papers, I see multiple attempts to alleviate concern. They order additional air quality tests, ones that are above and beyond the intermittent tests that are already happening. They set up these meetings that Toby recorded. They were created to help make parents feel like they were in the loop. And eventually, the health department was brought in to do a health review. And when the review came out, It said that the school was safe for kids. The methodology for the review and the details of how that conclusion was reached were never given. But at this point, no matter what is said or assured, Toby is still scared. So it is just by banning it, it doesn't just, you can't wish it away. This is Om Malik. He's an expert in occupational health and safety and has managed many sites where asbestos has been removed from buildings. I've been told by a lot of people he's the asbestos guy to talk to. I've come to him to look over the air tests and survey reports and discuss if, in his view, anything has been missed here. He does think there are some gaps in this report. I would be concerned with how much dust was there. This is only telling you the concentration. On the day with the very high asbestos readings on the floor, we don't know how thick the dust layer was. But even so, Om thinks the students most likely will never develop diseases related to asbestos. All you need anywhere is is a small quantity, but you have to have the small quantity get there. Om says there's a chance a one-time exposure could result in cancer. But... Theoretically, yes, it is possible. But if you just put them in likely to remote, I would say remote. So how could a mistake like this happen? There are provincial health and safety regulations for the removal of asbestos. 
but Om says it's up to each individual contractor how those regulations are enforced. For example, in PEI, it is mandatory that if asbestos is being removed, there must be a professional on site to monitor that removal. But in this case, at Tosh, because they didn't know what they were removing was asbestos, there was no one on site to catch it. Asbestos safety advocates have been pushing for a plan to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen again. They want federal regulations, which would help people work through the elaborate process of removing asbestos from a building. But when we move away from the process, to the impact, to the emotions, Om hits on something else, which I've been having trouble pinning down. You know, in many situations, we deal with what is known as the outrage management. The fear that's been lurking in the background of all of this is a real problem. And I'm not here uh, uh, making any stereotyping, but in general, the mothers come about and they, they express the concern. So many times it is not the intention to hide anything, but underestimating the concern, underestimating their knowledge. So we just give them a broad sketch. Oh, no, no, everything is fine. Go away. That concern now becomes an issue. You, you have to have, empathize with their concerns. Don't minimize them by saying nothing. And while Om believes the children will most likely be fine, he doesn't believe Toby has nothing to be angry about. It's not, oh, sometimes somebody misses it. I must be held to account for it. Go after them. Sue them, uh, penalize them, and, and let it be known that that's what you are doing with them. In one of the meetings that Toby recorded, a government official in charge of the project says he suggested to workers' compensation they not fine the contractor because the breach was inadvertent. I reached out again to the government and the school board, asking if they pursued any form of discipline or fine as a result of the breach in protocol. I did not receive a response for that question. However, in an earlier email I received, I was told, government is currently reviewing the guidelines for school renovations and construction to ensure the quality of education for all students is kept in highest consideration during construction and renovation projects. For Toby, the fact that no one has been openly made accountable makes it feel like this isn't being taken seriously. So where are we with all of this? The kids will probably, probably be okay, but that doesn't mean everything has been okay. Toby and a lot of other kids and parents have been through the ringer, and they still have a lot of questions. It's the spring of 2019, and Toby's been at this for over two years. There's a change in provincial government. The Liberals are out, Conservatives are in with a Green minority. As a parent myself, I appreciate the concern the students and parents have brought forward surrounding the construction at Three Oaks High School. James Aylward, who was previously the person hammering the Liberals for how they handled the Three Oaks reno, was questioned the previous day by the Green Party to bring forward information about the health review and explain how the all-clear was reached. He pledged to bring those documents forward, which hasn't happened yet, 
But he did something else, something pretty surprising. Toby was in the legislature that day, sitting in the gallery. Oh, I like if I was allowed to stand up and cheer, I would. <laughs> I would have stood up and cheer. While we are confident, based on the findings to date, that students have not been subject to health risks, we know that we need to do better, be more transparent and proactive as a government going forward with major school construction. That's why, Mr. Speaker, our government will work to establish a registry to confirm students who were enrolled at Three Oaks during the construction period in case this needs to be further reviewed at a later date. I've been advocating for a registry for a year and a half. What did um, Lydia think? Oh my God, she, oh, I, first thing she said to me, Mom, I'm so proud of you. And I, and she gave me this great big hug and she said, you are helping so many people. We still don't know the details for this registry or how it might be used. But Toby's optimistic that if Lydia does ever develop symptoms of asbestos exposure, she can call on it then. When I spoke to asbestos safety advocates, they said the creation of this registry is really significant. That this is most likely the first time something like this has happened in Canada. And the thing is, it may never be used, and I pray it will never be used. But we have to fight for it to be there in case it is required. So this is where we leave Toby and Lydia. Toby is continuing her fight to make sure renovations like this never happen again while children are in school. She wants more details on the registry and what exactly it will do for her daughter. And Lydia, she's doing much better. But things still haven't returned to the way they were before. I still get headaches sometimes that are that blindingly bad. I still get the odd chest pain. I'm able to live more normally now than I was when I was in high school. I don't know what's going to happen. That story was reported and produced by Julia Poggle. It was edited by me, A.C. Rowe. Special thanks to Allison Brottle, Marie Laurence, and the team at CBC PEI. For more on this story, including a map of the hazardous materials assessment showing where the construction site was in the school, head to our website. We're at cbc.ca slash docproject. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more Canadian investigative journalism, please take a moment to rate and review us. The Doc Project is produced by Julia Poggle, Allison Cook, and me. Althea Manassan is our digital producer, with backup this week from Jonathan Orr. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.